Hello, everyone. Welcome to We've Been Watching with David Stevenson and Claire Woodward. Hello, Claire. We're back after Easter. Did you survive? Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I, I haven't had a cream egg this year. I just think. I think you know. I, I've changed. No cream eggs for me. Gosh, so the, you've got another year to wait then, really. Well, no, yeah, exactly. away, well, so... no, no, but, but they don't they come into the shops after Christmas, so oh, a bit well, less than a year, then. really. Good, maybe mm. you can turn up your sort of seasonal, turn upside down your seasonal year and have your Easter and Christmas. <laughs> I'll have Christmas pudding in, in uh, July, I think, for my birthday. Well, it's been quite a week to watch television, a good variety of stuff. Um, I think we'll look at Too Close on ITV, the Emily Watson drama. The Real Prince Philip on Channel 4 Sunday, uh, the BAFTA Film Awards, Midsummer Murders on ITV Sunday, uh, Line of Duty, we can't ignore Line of Duty, it's, un, it's un, unignorable, is that the word? <laughs> we'll stay with that. It is now. Yeah. It's, it's inignorable, there we are. And all, <laughs> the, all the glitters to finish off with. Um, but first I think we should talk about the very sad death of Helen McCrory, which has just come through as we started to, re to record. Very, very sad news for the family. It is, it's absolutely shocking because I thought as an actress, I thought she had tremendous power, you know, and as Aunt Polly in Peaky Blinders, she was fierce, you know, and she really seemed to have some amazing life force. And just to hear that she's, you know, she's, you know, she's died of cancer, it's, has been a real shock to a lot of people, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And at 52, it's a real tragedy for the family. Um, mm. She had, she did have a real power as an actress that I don't think anybody came close to, really. And particularly as Polly, who was, you know, on every drug known to man at that point and was <laughs> incredibly harrowing. She, she did harrowing in such a convincing way. She, had, she just convinced as soon as she walked onto the stage or appeared on the screen, really, to me. Mm. I mean, she had this fantastic assurance, didn't she, as well? You know, there was this, I think there was this element in her that you, you, you knew that she was going to be great. You know, you knew that you could trust her to be in charge of, of a situation. Um, and, you know, but she was, funnily enough, I was watching her on Inside Number Nine, where she played a sort of, um, sort of spooky um, brother and sister with Reese Shearsmith living in a strange old house the other day, and she could play for laughs as well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she was I incredibly did versatile. Did you catch Mother, Father, Son, which was the, uh, the drama, the BBC drama, where she played a wife to a, uh, well, it was meant to be a Rupert Murdoch figure, but a wife to a media <laughs> figure. And um, she, was, she was quite restrained then, but about to sort of bubble over all the time, which was her stock in trade in a way. And again, mm -hmm. just so convincing. I mean, she'll be just so missed by everybody um, just because she's the sort of actress of that generation that could turn a hand to any role, really, and carry it off. Yeah, and she, you know, she did lots of movies. She was in Harry Potter as well, wasn't she? Um, I believe, having never seen a Harry Potter film. And she was also Cherie Blair, wasn't she, in The Queen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, she had a tremendous range and she always came back to television. So, yes, it, it is tremendous loss. She was one of the great names of her generation, really. And I think she was she was liked by so many people as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Tragic. I mean, I was I was fortunate enough in 2017 to interview both her and Killian Murphy. And let's have a little bit of a listen to that and then we'll come back. 
Had you seen it for the first time this morning as well, you guys? Or? I think you did, did you? I did. And yeah. what, what's it like when you It made me want to shop. <laughs> it's so weird you say that. You can't take that lie. <laughs> no, you wanted retail therapy then immediately. I, I wanted to watch the next episode. I was genuinely very excited. Were watching. you? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Because we, because you read the script, but you've got no idea if it's going to work. I mean, just because the script works, obviously, on paper, God knows if we've managed to destroy, not us, obviously, this <laughs> cast and crew, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work. And no. I, and I was, I think it's... I think I know you're not supposed to say that about something you're in, but I think it's fantastic. Oh, I, I wanted to watch the next one straight away. Yeah, I mean, do you rate your own performance while you're watching it? Are you going, oh gosh, that could have been ten percent, ten out, <laughs> eleven out of ten? I just get oh, are you younger every day. <laughs> How did they light me like that? Um, do I e- know less with this than anything else? Really? Yeah. I wonder why that is. Because um, I think this, it, yeah, some of the whole is greater than any of its parts, or uh, however. I'm I see what you mean. Yeah, that. yeah. And um, and also, it's him there that is holding the screen in the story, mm. so that's what I'm following. And I think this, that start between a lonely man who's giving wads of money to his friends for Christmas that ends up covered in blood Mm. like a butcher. It's fucking great. So Too Close on ITV, a three-part drama, stripped across the week. So that normally means it's too confusing to follow over one night or uh, (laughs) over one night per week. So it's crunched into three nights in a row. I mean, I only made one episode, but... um, it was this idea of a yummy mummy monster, which they kept saying over and over again as if they didn't have another catchy line. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, oh, we haven't had a drama about yummy mummies, have we? You know, oh, well, let's let's have one here. And uh, I was frankly a bit bored by it. I, I mean, I know, that, you know, the phrase yummy mummy monster, you're not supposed to like her, but I just found so, I, I just found it a real beige drama. It was. Um, it, was like, it was like a sort of middle class nightmare, wasn't it? I don't know whether that a middle class nightmare, nightmare, but not for the not not for Denise Goff's character, but for the Emily Watson character who was who was being basically cross examined by the person she was meant to cross examine. Um, yeah, exactly. And she was um, the the Denise Goff character was sort of having a go at. Um, Emily Watson's character to say, you know, you've got expensive, boring clothes. And it was just like, ooh, the ultimate sort of you know, yummy mummy lady insult. But who um, would be mild by that anyway? It's just a nonsense that, you know, here's this person who's pretty much an exercised attempted murder driving a car off a bridge. And then she comes back with, oh, I don't like your clothing. And then, you know, she was trying to undermine her relationship with her husband, wasn't she? Sigh, who kept ringing. It was sort yes. of, it was like it was like a two-hander play that should have been on the fringe, but didn't really deserve three hours of television. But Emily Watson got to, go on. Sorry, my thought. No, I agree, David. It wasn't worth it. Wasn't worth that. Maybe it was an hour and a half. No, absolutely. But at least Emily Watson got to do her stock in trade, which um, is getting a bit fruity at times. I mean, she yeah, more like stocking tops trade. <laughs> Yes, yeah, getting a bit fruity on a table or in a cupboard or 
yes, any, anywhere but a bed, really. I think a kitchen island in this. That was the most novel thing in the whole <laughs> drama, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> yeah, far from Reeves and Mortimer's novelty island. But it was, um, it was, I just found it very, for a drama about sort of, you know, trying to kill your children, I found it quite unemotional and very cold. Well, it was unengaging um, and, and a little bit cheap because it was set mostly in one room, wasn't it, to be, to be honest? <laughs> well, well done to the production team on that. I think, I think our score is going to be quite low on this. We give it out of 10, I think, whoa. A five from me, I think. Five, I, just... I think a four and a half just to be even more difficult, I think. <laughs> so that's too close. We've, we, we, we've been close enough to that. So next up, The Real Prince Philip on Channel 4 on Sunday. I mean, I was surprisingly taken with this documentary. I found it really insightful. I mean, it started um, with some deep background of his and then his time at Gordonston, which had really influenced his character. Um, and I found and learned more about him on that than I had a lot. I mean, obviously, we've all watched a lot of stuff about Prince Philip over the last week or so. But Channel 4 unusually did quite a good job on that, I thought. Well, I mean, I think this is the interesting thing about watching all the Philip stuff this week. There's been so much royal content, hasn't there? You know, you've got Channel 4 do quite a lot. Channel 5 do a royal documentary pretty much every Saturday night. You know, I'm thinking now, is there anything we don't know about the royals? But this documentary appears to have offered you something a bit more. Well, it was what was interesting. It did a whole there was a whole sequence on uh, Dartmouth where he basically entertained as a sort of naval student, the royal party when they turned up, including Princess Elizabeth. And there was this wonderful shot of the two of them on a croquet lawn. It looked like they'd been socially distanced and had been sort of macked on, you know, in the modern period. But they were they were standing, you know, about two and a half metres apart on this croquet lawn. And then there was a wonderful story from one of the naval commanders down there that uh, Mountbatten had said to Philip when the Royal Yacht was sort of moving out of Dartmouth Harbour, follow them on a skiff, boy, and start <laughs> rowing and waving to them. So apparently he <laughs> did this and he followed this, the Royal Yacht Britannia out of the harbour while he's rowing and waving at her. I don't think that's absolute, I don't think that's actually possible, but he did, <laughs> he did <gasps> manage to do it. <laughs> But it was a great story. So they, so it was basically the invention. I mean, I'm not sure they did invent the royal wave, but maybe the double royal wave, you know. So both he and Elizabeth at that time were doing that. It was a lovely story. Not waving, but drowning, possibly. Yes. I mean, that that's that's a great way to woo a woman, isn't it? Just to follow her on a on a on a rowing uh, in a thing boat rowing boat. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. But um, there was a great program on earlier this week as well with Matt Fry talking to. Um, people who knew Philip on Channel 4 and, and you know it was sort of slightly editorialized but Fry you know talked about um, entertaining ladies shall we say back in the Philip you know in the 50s you know when he was doing the nightclub scene and you know he was uh, in various clubs with ladies and gentlemen um, and, and Matt Fry was great you know he's a great presenter and you know always uh, you know I brought out the wit in Prince Philip I think you know the fact that he was you know quite an amusing man who probably looked on his role with something of amusement. I think we've, but, all, um, we've, we've all learned quite a bit about him haven't we because I don't think we really did know a bit we had we had this person who was betrayed in the media as 
being gaff ridden all the time. And I mean, there were there were some gaffs and some of them were uncomfortable for some people, not for others. Others just found them funny. Mm. We I mean, they've managed TV's managed to sketch in something of his character, which was probably a bit more complex than a lot of us thought, really. I think so. I mean, those those of us old enough to remember the Royal Family documentary when it was shown the first time on the BBC, you know, I'll never forget. Um, I'll never forget what's his name. I'll never forget Prince Philip and and just cooking sausages on the barbecue and having a nice relationship. Um, <laughs> and don't forget, you know, that documentary was um, Prince Philip's idea to humanise the royal family. So. You know, the fact that we, you know, we we have seen Philip as distant in the past. You know, he was a very modern man. He was a modernizer. He was talking about, you know, he's done lots of television, um, involved in science and industry. So, you know, this is what happens when you become old. People forget the things you did when you were young. And it's been quite nice to, to celebrate those things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was a real modernizer. You have modern and modernizing with television because I suppose you could say that royal family documentary was probably the first reality show in a way. And he got the cameras into the coronation, which was quite bold. There's quite an argument with the BBC over that. Um, someone won an argument with the BBC, shock. Um, so well done, <laughs> well done, Philip, for that. I could imagine he'd be the sort of guy on a committee which you'd say, okay, let's do what Philip said. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did seem quite persuasive, bless him. And I mean, obviously, um, his funeral on Saturday will be, you know, a, a big televisual event. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see won't it, how, the, how the broadcasters address it, because it's not a big ceremonial funeral. It's very low key. So it'll be interesting to see how that comes over on TV. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a contradiction that we found a lot of the television interesting. But of course, so many people switched off and 110,000 people complained to the BBC. I thought that was pretty rude, really. I mean, were these all MasterChef viewers? Or I, just, I, I thought it was quite churlish of people to complain about the coverage of somebody um, just on the basis that their favourite programme is put back a day. I mean, for goodness I sake, people get agree. a life. Yeah, because and also the BBC, let us not forget, is our state broadcaster. This is what they do. Um, you know, there's always somewhere else to go in this multi-channel society. So, so and it's yeah. all about it's all about this notion of service, which is an old fashioned notion, really. And, you know, if you start talking about that to the younger generation, um, they look quizzical at you. But he did 32,000 public engagements. I mean, that's that service. I mean, because a lot of people won't support charities unless there's a celebrity or someone from the royal fam f family as a patron. So, I mean, they do enormous good, whether you're a Republican or not, or you really want to have MasterChef final on at the time that it should be. Anyway, look, let's face it, MasterChef is like a bus. There'll be another one along in a minute, won't there? Whether it's MasterChef kids, MasterChef professionals, MasterChef people with brown hair, blah, blah, blah. There'll be another one along soon. So, you know, it's always on. Well done, Prince Philip. Great service. <laughs> well, something that was incredibly awful, I have to say, this week was BAFTA Film Awards on Sunday night. Um, I really didn't know what they were doing there, and I don't think a lot of people really wanted them there either because they didn't turn up. There were empty rooms or uh, empty chairs. I mean, it... it it was 
just incredibly weird. And I can't believe they even bothered. Why didn't they just take a year off from all these? Because it doesn't have the real flair and spectacle of a typical award ceremony, does it? No, absolutely not. When you consider, you know, uh, there were well, there was no cinema, was there? You know, we were all sort of what we were watching. I don't know Wonder Woman new movie on on Amazon Prime, which doesn't really lead itself to to being terribly exciting. It was all it was a low key year for movies, and certainly a very low key uh, year for these BAFTA awards. I mean, it just seemed absolutely heartless, and didn't it? You know, and soulless. <laughs> It did the production value, and there was because of the echo and everything else that happens with Zoom, the buffering and such. They were sort of joking about it, and then they went to their first guest in America, and there was all this buffering. I was thinking, this you couldn't you couldn't make this up. And they went straight into something. Old buffers. They went went straight into a music clip with Liam Payne. I mean, didn't really introduce him. Then there were two images of Liam Payne, um, a current one, and I don't know, one that he dug out of the archive and I couldn't work out what was going on. And it was so peculiar with things like that. Then there was a comedian who did a Michael Jackson joke. I thought, well, why is someone joking about Michael Jackson all of a sudden? On a That's ragingly show. contemporary, isn't it? Yes. And it ran for two hours and five minutes, or might have been three minutes. There, you know, I'm doing the disservice of two minutes. Two hours. I mean, all right, do it for one hour. Oh, and it did the sort of gush fest of of comments. I mean, I think it was Edith Bowman who said to someone, "I feel so grateful to have been introduced to your talent." I mean, I don't know whether that's that's. That's both patronising and ridiculous. Surely, I mean. We, people have got to stop being so gushing at these things. We don't, we don't need to be sort of gushed into submission on our sofa. Well, I mean, the thing is, you know, we want our presenters to be knowledgeable and in, in the know and stuff like that. We don't want them to be incredibly grateful and creepy. You know, they're there to do a job. They're there to do a job on our behalf, aren't they? You know, they shouldn't be going, oh, I, should, I shouldn't be here. No, absolutely. But the value of that ceremony, I didn't see the ratings. I would, they would have been poor. I can't imagine they would have been any good. But I can't, but can't imagine what viewers are expected to get out of these shows anymore when it's not particularly glamorous, which this was not. Dear, oh dear. I think I'm getting one out of ten for the BAFTAs. It probably deserves half a point or something just for turning on the electricity. Well, one of my favourite shows to watch is actually Midsummer Murders, but the old version on ITV3. And I've been getting more and more annoyed with the current version, which has become sillier than it's ever been. I didn't think it was possible to be dafter than what you were previously, Midsummer, but the 22nd series has really done it with the most outlandish plots ever. I mean, I think they've sort of th thought that if we have completely wacky plots, that's what people want. But in the end, with a detective drama, you do need to have some sort of convincing side to it. Otherwise, the whole edifice of the story just collapses. Does it not? I don't know. What, Maybe I've got it wrong. What could be dafter, though, than being killed by a wheel of cheese? There must be something dafter then than being killed by a wheel of cheese. Well, the only one that I saw recently was um, Hugo Spear, who was a builder and a naughty builder, been playing away from home a lot. And he got into his Range Rover um, at a building site 
and he was filled up to his neck in liquid concrete, which I think was absolutely brilliant. He had his basically his head floating on a sea of concrete. I mean, I think that was absolutely brilliant. But that is, that I'm afraid to say was in the old version, uh, mm. the John Nettles version. But the the plots in the the last series that's gone that's gone ridiculous. We had a we had a killer who was dressing up in a, as a wolf. Um, a whole lot around a fishing competition, which was ludicrous. We had some killer bees. And then we had a whole lot of people practicing martial arts who had just been heart attack victims, the Stitcher Club or something. Oh, for God's sake. I mean, that, that just sounds... I mean, yes, Midsummer is supposed to be ridiculous, isn't it? But that that is just... Take it off. Should we take it off, David? Well, is we can take it off. I think we need to take... Yeah, I think we need to take it off for a bit. I mean, it could go away for a year. They need to find some writers and they need to look at old fashioned plots and why they actually work. I mean, I'm not saying you need to, it needs to be incredibly dark and we need to have dismembering down the high street of Midsummer, Midsummer Worthy, but mind you, that, you know, that, at least that'd be a clue to work on, wouldn't it? No, but give it a rest for a while anyway. And then Claire, you can, you can discover Midsummer Murders for the first time. Right, we have to say hello to our friends on iTunes who have joined us on Apple Podcasts. So if you're there somewhere around the world, um, lovely to have you with us. I hope you can understand what we're talking about. I mean, of course, a worldwide hit is Line of Duty, which um, is coming slowly but surely towards the end of its fifth series. And it's been an absolute cracker, hasn't it? Although they are introducing a lot of backstory plots, which might be annoying people that have come to it for the first time well it's annoying people like me who've watched it all i mean you know this week's episode was particularly exciting but when patrick ballard you turned up as a lawyer look, looking very good actually i thought patrick very svelte prison was clearly you know agreeing with him but i couldn't remember in which previous series he had popped up in as as a lawyer um did it matter Probably, but I, I, I'm, I'm finding it hard to get my head around um, this series. It is exciting, and if you keep your mind on the Gail Vella case, then then you can understand it. But uh, with all this sort of backplot from previous five series, I've seen it all, and I'm I'm a bit stymied. So God knows what anybody else thinks. Well, I have seen, and I can't talk much about it. The uh, <laughs> the fifth episode. Ooh. There is a, a five-minute sequence in it, which is the most edge-of-the-seat you can probably get in tension-filled um, few minutes that I've seen this year, possibly for the last two years. But I can't say anything about it in case his rumours bugged and it gets out before Sunday. <laughs> but if this goes out on Monday morning, this podcast, as I expect, um, I'm, it was an incredible piece of television um but i hope it hasn't come i hope that's not that it because we've got another two episodes to go we've got episode six and episode there's an extra episode in this series episode seven um and another case was introduced last night which again is a bit annoying if you have only started seeing it as i had done from seeing jessica rain getting thrown out of that window which i still <laughs> find an incredible scene um but I find sometimes that the, the, he's, he's terribly good at tension is what I think Jed does. 
but sometimes I can find the writing just a little bit ordinary in in other respects. I mean, I don't want to sound too hard on it because it is probably the best thing on television at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's, there's there's holes in the plot I'd like to know. You know, I mean, what's happened to... Um, God, I can't remember the names of the characters. Um, the lead woman in it. Kate. Kate, Kate Fleming. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kate Fleming. You know, what's happened to Kate Fleming's marriage? You know, I, I has it broken up and I'd forgotten about it? You know, I know she's got a son. Um, there's kind of, uh, there's things I want to know, but, it, it, you know, there's, it, it's all procedural, as you say. There's not so much human emotions in it. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I thought the Steve Arnott plot, the drug taking plot was going to be played out a lot more and there'd be a plot that would drive a story, but it hasn't really come to anything. I mean, we, do, we, we sort of look at his face. Oh, God, here's another spasm. He's about to go and reach for the drugs. I mean, the, the, the sort of running gag is how he gets a message on his computer every two or three minutes saying you haven't filled occupational health would like to speak to you. <laughs> and well, he stares at this. Well, we can all relate to that. We can all relate to that one, can't we? No, I don't want to. This, but I just keep going, just visit an NHS pain clinic, Steve. You should be fine, you know, but maybe he's just too busy. No, he is too busy. Um, and of course, we got Ted being retired off, which um, what does this all mean? I mean, because they want Ted out, don't they? Because mm. um, they probably want to incriminate him as H, even if he's not H himself. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's, it's going to push him over the edge, though. I think this is going to really make him go hell for leather at, at, uh, at all his opponents now. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we're still loving Line of Duty and uh, and still two more episodes to go, depending where you're up to, of course. <laughs> well, there was a new show that you couldn't really ignore on BBC Two last week. It was All That Glitters, the most, um, in terms of title... <laughs> uncreative <laughs> title of the week i mean it's all about creating a new jewelry star and it's got Catherine parkinson as the comedian trying to make a joke out of something that is um basically what my children call a resistant materials class <laughs> well i think you know i i think the viewers are going to be a, be a bit resistant to this because you know this is taking making just that little bit too far because you know jewelry is such a refined area um you know who wants to watch somebody make a ring N not really it's not very exciting and certainly in the week that the great british sewing bee comes back which is one of my favorite programs because it's you know, everybody wears clothes. Joe Lycett is a tremendous presenter. You've got Esme, who is just lovely, and, and, and Patrick, who is lovely. It's all it's all lovely, and it's all very real and cosy, whereas jewellery? I mean, the, the word I thought um, was best applied to this was leaden, basically, because they're just... <laughs> <laughs> belting away with hammers on bits of metal, lead or otherwise. I mean, the first episode was bangles. I mean, I haven't heard anyone talk about a bangle. That's a lovely bangle you've got on. I haven't heard anyone mention it's a 70s thing, a bangle or not. I mean, 
Well, was it on a Monday? They should have called it Manic Monday by the Bangles, really, shouldn't they? But, I mean, <laughs> really, who wants to see anyone make jewellery? It's not the sort of thing you think, wow. I mean, pots are kind of different, aren't they, with the great, you know, the pottery throwdown. Jewellery is just a little bit too rarefied. I don't know. I mean, in a way, I thought it was going to get interesting when a few people got a blowtorch out. I said, God, this is going to be good. What if a bottle of butane goes up? <laughs> this will be interesting. Singed eyebrows all round, yes. But there was no drama in it. There was no sort of jeopardy in it at all. It just sort of plodded along. I mean, isn't it funny with TV or it's depressing or funny? I don't know. But the way that they get hold of a format, a talent to, you know, the great British something, and then we all go and make something. I mean, the other thing that's, have you seen um, Make and Remade, which is a, I think that's the title. Um, and it's like another, ver it's, a, it's a trimmed down or, or recycled version of the repair shop. So they're taking these various items and then they upcycle, if you like, a, what was an old motorbike into a table and a wall ornament. I mean, <laughs> Well, you know, but this is it, though. There's so few formats around now, aren't there? You know, there's 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 all this making things format. And what was that um, New Vernon K show on a Saturday night? Game of Talents. Game of Talents. So, so that's Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, and and a game show, and it sounds a bit like Game of Thrones. I mean, you know, there's basically probably about ten formats with going round and round and round at the moment and and literally some of these formats have been going for years I mean how old is the bake-off now that must be coming up for 10 years I old think coming now. up for 10 years but that that is a great format and everybody should have been satisfied with that but nobody is in tv unfortunately um but they're running out of the other thing that's happening at the moment is that I think everyone's running out of shows I noticed in the ITV schedule this week at nine o'clock over five nights from Sunday on, there are four nights of repeats, four full nights of repeats. Casino Royale up against Line of Duty, then a repeat of Gino, Fred and um, Gino DeCampo and, um, and Gordon Ramsay doing their round wherever it was trip. That's, over th that's a three night repeat. And then one hour of original television at nine o'clock. So we've run out of television or ITV has. Well, they have run out, particularly when you've got, is it what's Alan Titchmarsh's new show? A spring into spring summer. Into, spring into summer, which to me strikes me as daytime television shoved out as a prime time show. Um, and not that it's not lovely for what it is, but it's 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 far too gentle and coma inducing to be a, an evening entertainment show. But he did have Anton Dubeck on there and we think Anton's very good. I mean, he's a great performer in his own right, isn't he, really? I think he's fantastic. You know, basically, I think if on television you're good with old ladies, then you deserve a show of your own. Um, and obviously Anton is, is you know, fantastic on Strictly. He's a fantastic co-host on Steph's Packed Lunch on um, Channel 4. I think he deserves a show of his own. I think he's got such charm and he's... He's hilarious as well, uh, and he deserves better than holding a buzzard on um, a show with Alan Titchmarsh. He deserves his own show. He's very good at holding a bird, I thought, <laughs> but better at, <laughs> better, better at cutting the rug, I would say.